Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Pablo Arrain's Spencer. Joining me today, despite the fact I was unable to accommodate her request for wire cutters, it's Kayla Stetzel. <laughs> Kayla, what's up? Hello, hello. Super excited to be here. Uh, big Princess Diana fan. Huge Kristen Stewart fan. So this is really just an amalgamation of my interests. Yeah. And, and I'm just learning something new about you as with respect to your royal watching, because when we last did a podcast, I was like, oh, yeah, I've talked about a Kristen Stewart movie with her before. Why don't we do a, di- a very different kind of Kristen Stewart movie? Because we talked about yes. Happiest Season almost a year ago now. Jesus, 2021 went by as fast as uh, com- so fast compared to House Forever. Time felt like 2020 was fake. Time is not real. I know, but it just, it's like 2020 went on forever. And now it's like, it cannot have almost been like, I think we literally did that. I, I vaguely remember like, it was like the, around the, like the middle of the month in December of last year, we did happiest. Yeah, like, we lost a full year. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't so. know where last year went, but yeah. Uh, Spencer uh, is, uh, is again, directed by French director, Pablo Lorraine, who a lot of people know from 2016's Jackie, but he's done a lot of other movies too. But a lot of people are obviously referencing Jackie in relation to this because it's, you know, a woman that uh, married into a very famous family, being put in a tough situation and he captures it in a very unique way. Uh, Spencer is set on, on across Christmas weekend sometime in the early 1990s when uh, Princess Diana's marriage to uh, Prince Charles is kind of on the rocks, but they have not officially separated. But uh, his affair with Camilla Parker Bowles is fairly well known at this point, and you can tell things are strained. The British royal family is preparing to spend the holiday on the Queen's uh, Sandringham estate, uh, which is near where Diana grew up. So they're all uh, waiting for her to arrive to the weekend, and she's just kind of driving around the countryside, um, kind of sniffing around where her old stomping grounds were, really just clearly trying to do anything to avoid going to spend time with this family she is married into, which uh, has obviously, uh, clearly, for anyone that has any knowledge of this time period in her life, is, uh, let's just say this family has not been very good for her uh, health. The movie just, it really just covers like three days. And you see really from, you're really from Diana's perspective the entire time and just seeing just what is she is going through. And uh, the movie is, let's just say, not your traditional biopic and is really just there to uh, put you in in her eyes and see how this really is. Uh, you could you could make the crown a horror movie if you edit it differently, basically. Yeah. And uh, so, Kayla, I want to ask you though, uh, first of all, before we even get into the movie, can you put your uh, your royal watching into context for us? Because mine, I, I'm maybe I know more than like your average Joe film goer, but that's really just because I've watched The Crown and read Wikipedia accordingly in doing so. So uh, I, I, that was news to me. I just thought like, hey, she, she likes Kristen Stewart, so she wants to see this movie. I had no idea you were kind of into the oh. royals. So are you more of a no, royal watcher, I, uh, a, Diana, a Diana fan or something else? I am hardcore Diana stan. My mother was obsessed like to the extent I feel like I mean I grew up in a Catholic household I felt like we venerated Diana like she was a deity of sorts or like a saint you know uh, like a Mother Teresa-esque type figure so very much a Diana stan you know as I feel like many mothers across mm-hmm. <laughs> the U.S. and the globe were very much into Diana but yeah very much Diana stan I know a lot about her life I feel like I've read a biography at one point in time early on. I've watched the documentary in her own words, Diana in her own words, phenomenal. I'm going to recommend that. Um, It's like live source tapes of her interviews with a journalist um, where she just gets into detail about 
her entire life and her emotional state. So very interesting source material. I'm sure uh, Kristen Stewart likely used that to prep um, because you do hear a lot of her um, voice and just a lot of firsthand accounts of what she was experiencing. So that's kind of a context. And do I keep up with like the random tabloids with the Royals? Less so. Um, mostly just a big Diana person. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting because I mean, again, I'm not necessarily a huge tabloid reader too, but I do think there's some there's some pretty interesting parallels to like Meghan Markle's experiences uh, in the royal family up until when her and Harry made their escape in early 2020. And a lot mm-hmm. of what Diana went through, uh, even th- there are obviously some uh, pretty big differences to the, um, their, pre, their pre-royal family lives uh, in and of themselves. So I came into this movie, though, um, not really knowing what to expect because... I just knew I'd, I'd seen Jackie and I'd seen Naruto, which is a, a movie that uh, Pablo Rain had that really, I think, came out within like a year of Jackie. That was about, um, you know, a detective in Argentina, but uh, very different kind of thing. But I, I, I just knew Jackie wasn't a traditional biopic. I thought this was going to be something different, but I, I really had no expectations other than, hey, you're going to get something kind of weird. Uh, you, you told me after you saw it, hey, I think I might want to go see this again if I have time, because like. I have a lot of thoughts and it was really not what I was expecting. So I want to know from you, uh, what about this movie surprised you the most? Yes. So um, right off the bat, I feel like a lot of audience members, myself included, uh, were kind of, you know, taken on a wild ride or were unexpected, like were unexpectedly hit with, you know, a genre of, of film we weren't expecting. Right, I went into the theater excited to see a drama, you know, traditional biopic about Princess Diana. You know, there's been several, um, none have been that great in my opinion, but I was like, yeah, I'll go see another one, you know, (laughs) and I've heard this director's really good, so I'm excited. Um, What I ended up seeing and experiencing was more, you know, along the lines of a black swan, so psychological horror that's not even really about Diana so much as just about the exploration of mental illness um, as told through the small semi-fictional lens of this, you know, instance of Princess Diana's alleged Christmas weekend. Um, So it ended up being, you know, much more broad and open-ended about just kind of the human experience, but also, you know, there's dream sequences, there's, you know, ghosts show up in the middle. Um, it felt also quite like a, more of like a Shakespearean theater play or like a one woman show, you know, like I could visualize it as like, oh, I'm, I'm watching a play. I'm not watching a film. There's a lot of monologues. There's a lot of internal dialogue that's out loud. Um, you know, they hit you over the head a lot of times with some not so subtle, I don't want to say symbolism, but symbolism, illusions and things like that. Well, so, you, well you mentioned the ghost of, she sees the ghost of Anne Boleyn, who, uh, was yeah. the, who I actually don't know my royal history enough to have actually picked up on it in the moment, but I read about it. I'm like, oh, that is kind of on the nose. And so much as she was the wife of Henry VIII and was beheaded so her husband could marry his mistress. So uh, yeah, I mean, not, like, some not so obvious parallels. There's some pretty obvious parallels there. Yeah, I mean, some. I was like, okay, we get it. We understand. She's reading a book called The Life and Death of Anne Boleyn, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like, not subtle. 
Um, and there's some other lines that were like not very subtle. <laughs> One was included in the trailer. So I'm sure, you know, if any listeners have seen it, the trailer or the film, there's a line where she just like turns to the camera and goes, do you think they'll kill me? she's like like late for the christmas dinner and it's like okay we get it like well she was ultimately killed by a very different they though it's funny and so much it's so much it's like there's the photographers are referred to a lot throughout this movie as a pretty evil force i'm sure you know or perhaps you don't i don't want to assume anything like a lot of people believe um you know I mean, some believe like the actual conspiracy that like the royal family like wanted to kill Diana. I don't believe that. But a lot of people say um, basically all of the pressure and, you know, the lack of support the crown gave Diana ultimately led to her death. Right. And a lot of people feel that way. So I honestly think like the they in that sentence was referring to like, oh, the crown low-key killed Diana. And that's kind of the point we're trying to make here. Um, well, you seem like someone that pro- you seem like someone that would probably kind of like. I bet you're a Black Swan fan, correct? I love Black Swan. So did yeah. so. I mean, you got those kind of vibes from this movie. Did you actually like what they did here, even though it was not at all what you were expecting? You know, and see, that's why I wanted to see the movie twice. I think <laughs> I experienced some whiplash, right? Um, you know, because the scoring as well was absolutely stunning, and the imagery was very haunting. You said the story but, or the did you say the story or the scoring. The scoring, the score. By, of the yes, film. by by Johnny by Johnny Greenwood. Felt more like Midsummer. Was mm-hmm. so eerie and jarring and funeral procession esque the entire time that you kind of just feel this creeping uneasy feeling throughout the film, which like comes to a head at multiple t- multiple points, you know, with a really emotional performance from Kristen Stewart. So it's like. I went in expecting, you know, an interesting drama. And then I kind of left with a, you know, reeling. And this wasn't really about Diana. I had a lot of opinions about, I'm debating whether I should get into what I liked versus what I didn't like. Okay, well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I kind of set you Break up for down. a tough you can, one to answer. It's you, can lead, you can lead me into a question because I do have a lot of opinions. Well, so yeah. what, I, what, what I will say then before I press you further is that, you, and you said you do watch The Crown? Yes. So if you watch season four, was it season four that aired last year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, it, it focused on Diana, largely on Diana and Charles, but it, the crown is different from this and that it, it, it has scenes from the perspective of every member of the family and even some people that are outside the family, depending on uh, what part of what episode you're in. But you really like, I felt like this was interesting to me in so much as I'm not much of a royal watcher, but I, or, or a Diana a consumer of Diana content, but I watched that season of television and I felt like this filled in the blanks for me as someone that liked that season of television. Cause you get a really great sense of like, just what it was that she was put through during that season, because you just, I mean, God, like it's, I mean, it was a great performance by Josh O'Connor, but like Charles just comes off cross as awful in that season of television. And yeah. uh, so you, you, you understand why she is feeling the way she's feeling, but uh, in, she's having other pressure from other members of the Royal family and uh, in the people around the Royal family. But there's uh, moments throughout that season where she's kind of AWOL and they're like, Oh, she won't leave her room. Or I don't know where Diana is this, that like, I, I, we, we, we don't know what she's up to. And this is, this is the movie that's like, felt like it was showing you what she was up to during those moments. 
And because like you knew she wasn't well, but you don't actually know what that looked like. And I think Kristen Stewart did a great job of making you feel like what she must have been going through in those moments that were kind of the in-between moments that weren't really actually shown during that season, The Crown, because they, look, they only have so much room and they, they don't have the room to go on the kind of digressions that this movie did because it was more focused just on her. So I definitely like that. Though I'm not actually the biggest horror movie fan, though I, I really loved Jackie. I, so there might have been some moments in this movie that like I, I was still pretty, I don't know, spooked by because the, the score was really good. Uh, though I think some of the moments that actually worked more for me than just the pure horror moments or her seeing the ghost were some of the more human moments where she is talking to, where she's actually having conversations with like everyone else other than members of the royal family. Uh, and not that there, cause you don't really actually see many of the Royal family members talk aside from that one scene with Charles in the billiards room, but I thought it really gave a lot of great insight into her in a couple of different ways. One being what, what she was feeling and everything else about the movie besides the dialogue goes into that. The, the, I mean, the, the way it shoots her walking down those long hallways, the score, some of those just, uh, sequences of her wandering around her old house. That's all really well done. But like, I, I thought the really good shit was just like being like, oh, wow, like she is so out of place here that like she she is so much more comfortable talking to anyone else that's there that's not of royal blood. And I thought I thought it was really cool how it, again, we should say this isn't like it basically says from the outset, this is a fable taken from a true um, uh, tra- a, a tragedy. So it's like being upfront about the fact that it's recreating what might have could have happened, but it's definitely not exactly true events. But I it, it, it feels pretty true to life based on what I saw before. So I would say that's what I liked the most about it was that it just kind of filled in these blanks of what I didn't already know about Diana though I did know that she was going through a very rough time then. The one thing I think I heard from other people, which I'm, I'm wondering what you think about this. I don't know if it plays as well for someone that just doesn't even have the level of knowledge of the Royals that I do, let alone what you do. And that like, I think some people that don't know better might come away from this, not have like having a lower opinion of Diana than they probably should. Cause you know, they're probably lacking a little context. Like it does make some allusions to Camilla, you know, but it doesn't flat out explain like how, oh, he gave her those same pearls, but you don't really hear much else about it. So if you're coming in with the baggage that I came in with, even watching that season of the crown or someone that watched more then like, yeah, maybe you wouldn't quite understand what she's going through. And people were like, oh, why is she being so weird? Like I saw that in a couple of places. And I mean, there might be some other like just total Royal family stands that like just aren't as big on this. But like, I was like, I thought this filled in the blanks in an interesting way. And yeah, who knows if it's true or not, but it feels like it's based on what I know, probably a fairly like accurate depiction ghost aside. Yes. So one thing that I absolutely loved about this movie, aside from the music and the production design and the truly impeccable performance um, from Miss Stewart, mm. um, who nailed the voice and gave such a intensely emotional performance. Did she totally transform into Diana not certain you know because I could kind of always see her I respect I like that they didn't put a bunch of prosthetics on her face to try and make it even yes yes I respect that as well but at the same time I was like that's Kristen Stewart crying that's (laughs) Kristen Stewart in a car but even you know despite that just absolutely gut-wrenching performance but one of the issues I have kind of I don't want to say several because it was an amazing film. Mm-hmm. I was going to go see it twice. So that lets you know, you know, how I feel about it um, is kind of how they reduced Diana just to her mental illnesses, you know, what she did suffer from. 
And I think they portrayed them in a, a really honest and raw way, right? Um, you get a glimpse into her history with eating disorders, which she's talked about openly. You know, you get a glimpse into her history of self-harm, suicidal ideation. These are all things like she talked about herself, you know, at a time when that wasn't really, um, you know, spoken about at all. So that was really interesting and it was pretty accurately portrayed, I felt. Um, but at the same time, you know, Diana was a real human being. Um, so the story might be kind of a mythic bend in history. And well, I feel me, like, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, I mean, do you think that's a, as far as what you, the way you put it, I mean, reducing her to her mental illnesses and to some extent, do you think that could have been a fairly intentional choice just to show how much agency the Royal family had robbed her of and how low of a point it left her in. Cause I think it, I, th- I think that's trying to show the effect that just that environment had on her. And while at the same time, they tried to give you a little something beyond that, uh, the final scene excluded, which we can talk about at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like with, with the moment she has as William and Harry, where you can see like, Hey, like there's another version of her life that she could be very happy with these kids. It, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's, I, I do, I do feel like it was absolutely an intentional choice mm-hmm. to portray that way, but it's kind of like, yes, we understand she is suffering. She is very sad, but at the same time, I feel like this movie forgot that she was a very fiery person. I mean, she did end up leaving Charles um, and she really was you know, ballsy and gutsy and broke with tradition a bunch of times. I mean, she publicly hugged a patient with um, AIDS in the 80s, you know, so you can be privately crumbling down, you know, and mentally dilapidated, but at the same time, put on a brave face, go out there and, you know, get shit done, which I feel like she did. And while I feel like this movie portrayed like the breakdown and all of the, you know, you know, really dark time for her, which I'm sure did happen. I feel like they could have added just a hint, like a little like salt dusting of some confidence, some more indignant anger, which you do get some of. But do you think that's what they're trying to do in the scene where she goes and takes William and Harry off the hunting field? Is that, do you think that, do you think that was their intent there? Maybe. Mm -hmm. See, to me, that just hit me as she's crazy. Like they're just kind of making her look a little crazy. But also, again, the other issue I had with this is like, which I already mentioned, is like the overhandedness with the not so subtle symbolism. Okay, now she's literally in a field with guns pointed at her, (laughs) with members of the royal family pointing guns at her saying like, you just have to shoot me. I was like, okay, we get it. We understand. This family, you know, may have led to her death. I understand, right? But like, there's ways you could, I think, you could have sprinkled a little bit more um, levity somehow without robbing the story of its serious seriousness, just to kind of show her her bravery, you know. Um, but that's a very fine point um, for me to critique. Um, my other kind of big critique, but this is like weird to say, is I didn't think it was written that well. Controversial. Some of the lines just didn't strike me as very real, and kind of clunky. But all that being said, it's still a very good movie. So I'd like to hear your opinions on the script, if you have any. Well, I mean, I think you already pointed out a couple of the fairly on-the-nose lines, um, I mean, which is fine. When I, when, but when I think about this movie, I, I definitely think more about the 
everything. I, I, I think the script is one of the last things I think of, which I mean, Fair uh, enough. I mean, I mean that, that could be because there, there wasn't like uh, any super, like really effective dialogue that left a really lasting impression on me. But I think it's also just, I, I don't know if it's what Pablo Lorraine's most concerned about either. Um, it, it's not actually, I should say it's not actually written by him. It's funny enough. It's, it's written by a guy named Stephen Knight who just has one of the strangest filmographies. If you go and looked at it, like has written some like really good movies and like some really bad ones too did like Eastern promises and, um, and is the guy behind, uh, Peaky Blinders and, uh, oh, wow. and, and, and did lock, which is just a great movie with, uh, Tom Hardy from 2013, where it's literally all takes place in a car while the guy's on the phone. Uh, oh, like, yeah, that's a phenomenal film. So he's done wow. the set, that stuff, but he also did, he also did like the girl in the spider's web, which I mean, uh, was not great from what I understand. November Criminals, which is like a straight to DVD thing I was very excited about because it had my girl, Chloe Grace Moretz, never even bothered yeah. seeing it because it was so bad. Then had Serenity, which I did see and did a podcast on, which is like a hugely notable like uh, flop with, you know, Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. So like the guys just had a very strange career. So, and like, hasn't like written like a widely like praised film since Locke. I mean, like that's I eight can, years. I can definitely see you know, there were some questionable, I think, dialogue choices where it's like, okay, I don't feel like a person would say this line. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't Much know. more or less Princess Diana. You know? So I was yeah. like, mm, a little clunky. So what um, I'll say, yeah, so I'll say is like, as far as any thoughts I had on the script, though, like, I didn't like, there weren't any moments where I was, I was like, oh, groan, but it wasn't, but it's also like, when, if you make, if you were like, list the things you really liked about it, uh, I wouldn't say any of the dialogue was like would it would have been all that high up there because I think so much of this the most like stirring parts of this movie are like really not the dialogue. It's like watching Kristen Stewart's face uh, because yeah. you know I think part of that culture and um, specifically even maybe more so in the royal family is that like so much stuff goes unsaid uh, and like and you're you're really having to bite your tongue a lot and internalize a lot, especially when you're in the position she was where you don't really have any a lot of allies you can confide in uh, besides besides the help, I guess, with for lack of a better word. And so, I mean, I think all the images that I'm left with in this movie are more like watching her and how she's reacting to stuff and the situation she's put in than 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 anything she actually says. So that's very true and i feel this the same way the, mm -hmm. the strongest moments in this movie are the quietest moments in this movie um where you're just watching kristen stewart float around listlessly and like touch random objects and like gently weep out a window sounds like it'd be boring but it is the most <laughs> fascinating for me like part of the whole film because it's like you're watching a person unravel slowly in kind of a fever dream way so very fascinating right um but yeah no I'm just I'm left you walk out of theater like a little emotionally drained mm -hmm. maybe it's a touch confused but in a healthy interesting way um and you're just left with beautiful imagery imagery um yeah. of the mm -hmm. actual you know castle and uh you know of Kristen Stewart's beautiful face. So um, I, I was the only person in my theater when I saw it, uh, which when, when, when that happens, I take notes on my notes app. I, I'm a very like, considerate moviegoer. If there's anyone else in the theater, I will not take my phone out. But if I happen to be the only person to showing, I will take advantage of that and take more detailed notes than I otherwise May I uh, interrupt you for a second? Because we yes. can circle back to this point. I don't want to forget it. 
uh, packed house for my theater. Really? There was was considerable audience reactions at specific points. So I will make a note of what those were, but you can get into it. Get into your. Well, I I was just going to say, I only had two quotes actually written. I'll sometimes take Mm. like notable quotes. Uh, One of them is kind of from the end of the Sally Hawkins scene, which I maybe we get to sooner rather than later. The other one was you may leave now. I wish to masturbate. I wonder what the audience reaction was to that one. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very much like what you expect, like a confused chortle, <laughs> you know, some like curt inhaling, um, like, like just really interesting noises. But um, more than once when the ghost of Anne Berlin popped up, mm-hmm. audible groans, oh. audible groans. Huh. That was also, I hate to say kind of my reaction, kind of my reaction. Like, oh my God, there was a woman behind me that was like, oh my gosh, but <laughs> not like a, I'm surprised like a, this again, which is kind of, and I love, I the more avant-garde, weird, floaty dream shit that happens, mm. the more I'm on board, okay? Mm. But I think for me, just like, again, it was like, again, with the like overhanded symbolism that I had a little bit of a problem with. And a lot of, I think, the the pearl eating scene with the mm. soup, a lot of uh, confusion and like oohs and ahs at certain points. Well, so so what, what was and your then, read on that? Yeah. I think, what was your read on that scene particularly? Because I think that's one of the scenes that's getting the most reaction in all the dialogue surrounding the movie. I mean, I think the most popular reading of it is probably the most on the nose one, which uh, maybe not the wrong read to take on it based on a lot of the things in this movie. Which again, it sounds like you both still liked in spite of the fact that some of it might've been on the nose, but she's literally like eats one of these pearls, which is kind of symbolic of, you know, her distaste for the family in a way. And uh, what, what, what did you have any other kind of read on that scene or did the audience have any kind of audible reaction to it? Um, yeah, there was a lot of like discomfort in the room. You could hear it because <laughs> um, it's a very uncomfortable scene, very powerful scene. But um, honestly, I felt like this is one of the best movies about what it's like to suffer with an eating disorder. And I knew from the get-go how they structured this movie because at the beginning sequence, very haunting, almost militant people are marching into this castle or with crates. It's like, what's in these crates? Explosives. And they open it up and it's food, mm. right? And then it's set up so much of the action and the, the plot is driven by these you know, mandated meals. And also the her she her she arrives there and there's the scale sequence scale on the beginning which if any of you have ever suffered from disordered eating or know how toxic diet culture is anybody with that history is gonna know how terrifying and like life threatening a weigh in or weight check can be and this is actually I like looked it up to see if that was like a legit thing it is a legit thing which Freaking is nuts. crazy to me um, anyway. By the way, like the royal family did all really know um, that Diana had a eating disorder and bulimia. And I know for a fact, um, some of the lines of dialogues, I feel like were almost directly ripped from that, um, the, like the interviews from the Diana film, um, the, the actual interviews. Like um, I remember Diana saying like, oh, like the food would just be wasted on me. And like, there was a time I think when she was like, crying in the bathroom and somebody made a comment when she came back like I wish she just wouldn't waste the food like that you know so like they definitely didn't handle her you know 
extreme emotional suffering any sort of with any sort of grace or tact or understanding um, in my opinion. Um, but I think with the way that film was structured, it was a very intense exploration of just how terrifying food can be if you've got a, like a, a little bit of a psychosis with food, you know, which a lot of people do. So that was just very interesting to me where it's like food becomes terrifying to you. Um, and then also just the plot points of the meal, it just became like, I remember in the movie when it was like, she was going to be late for the main Christmas dinner and she's mm -hmm. in the bathroom. That was the most intense scene. I was like, she can't be late for it. Like, it's going to be crazy. Like, and like, all we're talking about is like her showing up to a dinner, but <laughs> it felt so like Hunger Games life or death, which is what I assume, you know, um, Diana perhaps felt when she was in the grips of all this familial turmoil, crumbling marriage and crippling eating disorder accommodation. Not a great time. Um, yeah, so that was a fascinating, that aspect of the film I think was the most fascinating to me. And see, that's one of the things if I were to see it again, mm -hmm. um, going into it with like, okay, this is gonna be a, like a horror movie trip uh, with a little, like with Diana thrown in, I'd be able to kind of absorb those elements more, right? And, you know, get a little more intellectual with them, I think. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if, if you, I, I, I guess I wasn't as thrown off by the fact we got a horror movie, even if that wasn't what I knew we were going to get, just because I knew I wasn't getting something like super straightforward. But it sounds mm -hmm. like you also mentioned that you didn't know if it handled her mental illness in the best way. One of the ways I, I, I thought it was interesting that they addressed it. And I mean, look, it's, this is kind of, it's not exactly a true story, but I'm just going to talk about the end. I'm not doing a spoiler section for this thing. Um, there's the final scene with the Maggie character, who is the professional clothier, or is it the clothier, the dresser? I don't, I don't know what the title is, but um, the, 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 apparently it's like a big thing in these uh, royal getaways that they have to change clothes a lot. And so uh, one of the people that this character, that's the creation of this movie, that is one of the people Diana can connect with is her dresser, whose name is Maggie, played by Sally Hawkins. And we there's a couple, I mean, we already see that they she ha probably has a closer relationship to her than anyone else that is there throughout the movie. At one point, Charles being as vindictive as he is, uh, it, it seems that he has her sent away. Uh, but at a certain point, she's able to, you know, exert a little bit of her pressure and get Maggie back. Uh, but we see a final scene where they have a real heart to heart. And it's pretty interesting that like Maggie, um, you know, uh, confesses actual romantic feelings for Diana, which Diana kind of takes that revelation in stride. And Maggie actually says the other line that I thought was one of the more memorable ones in the movie that I thought, I mean, I guess now that I'm looking at it again, um, maybe it's kind of corny, but it really stuck with me where she says, you need love, not a doctor. And who knows, maybe she actually does. Yeah. Act, maybe she actually did need some kind of clinical help, given that she'd really been put through the ringer. But I thought it was like a pretty telling quote in that. And it showed that this, again, again, created character had some real insight into what Diana was going through. And that like, and it does raise questions about like when any kind of sadness is something that's environmental versus something that's actually chemical. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, like uh, this is a pretty beautiful way to like, uh, really kind of encapsulate what Diana had been going through and how, yeah, even if this is veer into some kind of chemical issue, it definitely started from this environment. And that's a really succinct way of like showing like what she had been through and what got us to this point. So I at least respected that, like the movie had that kind of insight into like how, look, this is not a, this is not an issue with Diana, the person, this is an issue with the way people treated Diana, the person. And I always thought that like that scene is like maybe one of the most memorable scenes I've seen in the movies this whole year. What was your reaction to it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was also like, I, I was a very moving line for mm-hmm. me um, because it did very much feel like, you know, I've watched way too many Diana <laughs> movies and interviews and documentaries, but it did very much feel like you had this young, impressionable girl screaming and begging for love and never getting it um, and just dying and withering away looking for validation and support and just never really getting it which after a while would make anybody feel crazy for lack of a better term um and you know if, if you already are struggling with you know some you know anxiety depression mental illness getting put in that environment would make anybody you know suffer immensely so I really do feel like had somebody just treated her well, <clears throat> Charles, uh, <laughs> maybe she wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have had such a hard time because it is just a tremendously sad story. You know, the, the real one, just as much as the film, maybe not as maybe not quite as psychological worry, but maybe in a weird way worse, you know, because it actually happens. It also puts into perspective just like how really dysfunctional the royal family is if for people that like maybe weren't as familiar with this story, but have followed them more the last few years. If you watch that Meghan Markle with interview with Oprah at the, earlier this year, I think it was earlier this year. Again, as we said earlier, time is really screwed up right now. Uh, yeah. But like, I, I believe that was at the beginning, towards the beginning of this year. Uh, it, it, you, there were just like all these revelations about how there was just like no one to help her. And it's like, did y'all not yeah. like learn your goddamn lesson like 25 years ago? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think like so many parallels because very similar things were said. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that like this movie can be so focused on Diana, her perspective, and all of that, while still like in a, in a way without even necessarily trying to uh, make a comment on the royal family uh, at large. I want to back up for a second since we've mm-hmm. kind of ran through a lot of the plot of this movie, and you mentioned that you thought it was a fantastic performance from Kristen Stewart, and I want to know. Uh, it sounds like you think she uh, she really nailed the voice because I've I, I've li- I've listened to a few podcasts about it, read a couple of reviews, and it just seemed like opinions are all over the map. And as I told you before, like I'm, I'm not watched that many Diana interviews. I, I might have like come across one thing here or there and in footage over the last couple of years. And uh, but I, I, I really have nothing to really I did not have a point of reference for this. And I think it's interesting that Kristen Stewart got cast in this. I mean, I, one, I, I agree. She's a fantastic actress and is really underappreciated by a lot of the movie going public. But at the same time, like it's not that common that Americans get to play Brits. You know, usually it is the other way around. So I, I, I'm like, wow, like this is kind of a big moment. Like we're going to get to take some more of their uh, historical figure roles <laughs> or if like if she can really nail this, I hope she does it. So what was your reaction to it? Because like we're obviously really familiar with seeing her in like much different kind of roles. Like she hasn't even done that. I, I was just scrolling through IMDb, like hasn't really done period pieces either. Like not that this is like mm. an 1800s thing, but this is still like kind of in the past playing a historical yeah, figure. And, and, the, yeah, so. and the only other thing example, the closest thing she's done to that, as far as I can really tell in her filmography was in the runaways when she played Joan Jett. But again, I didn't really know what Joan Jett said. Like, film, by the way. Oh, great, great film. Yeah. Uh, great, uh, great performances from her and Dakota Fanning and Michael Shannon, I believe playing their sleazy manager, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Great film. But like, just, I was just like, this is so like, I get it. I mean, well, actually I don't even know physically if there's that much of a resemblance, which makes it even all that more impressive because Diana was tall beside the face. Diana was a freaking tall Kristen Stewart, comparatively uh, small person. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, even without those physical similarities going for her, uh, it sounds like you thought she did about as well as she could have in capturing Diana's essence. Uh. Yes. So 
kind of a confusing take. So I mm-hmm. think Kristen Stewart nailed the accent, nailed the uh, the emotional gravitas and pathos of this character. But at the same time, I, I don't feel like she fully disappeared in the role. Like when I was watching it, I was aware like that's Kristen Stewart. That's Kristen Stewart. Um, but it sounds like that didn't bother you though. No, it didn't bother me at all. Didn't bother me that much. Um, there was only a few times where I was like, ah. but again, I feel like that falls on the script rather than Kristen Stewart, where it's like, okay, like that line in and of itself, just, I feel like is weird. So like, I just like got taken out of it for a minute. Mm. The only time really, I mean, there's a few small points, but mainly in the beginning when she walks into that diner and she's like, excuse me, I don't know where I am. I was like, no one's going to just say that. I don't know where I am. I don't know. Maybe she did say that, but I was like, Mm, I, I do. I, I wonder if that, like, I, I, I wonder if that occurrence was like based on a kernel of an actual event that happened or something. Because, like, I, I like the idea of thinking about how people would react to a royal just walking into a bar, a I pub. Mean, I could, I could see Diana maybe doing that, right? But just like the way that it was, maybe it was the delivery. I was like, Daddy, this doesn't feel like Princess Diana. I don't know. This doesn't feel like a real person. Uh, but then, you know, once we settled into the character, um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I can't say I necessarily ever forgot I was watching Kristen Stewart, but I didn't necessarily think that was like, I, I feel like that's also just as much on the, it. I feel like that's just as much on, to the extent that is a problem, I think it's as much of a the fault of an audience member as it is an actor some, in certain Yeah, instances. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't distracted by it, mm-hmm. um, which I think is the key thing. And the voice was great. Um, the performance was breathtaking in my opinion um right as far as the voice for me i would just say like i I don't have as many like uh i'm not as familiar with diana's actual voice as you are but i'm just but because i'm just an american like i I get it if a brit might have more constructive criticism about her her voice but like i I, the only thing i'm going to notice is if like the the voice or the accent cracks and they lose it here or there, which sometimes happens when Brits are playing Americans. It, it, I can't say I've seen it happen that much when Americans are playing Brits, because again, that doesn't happen often. But there was never a moment where I was like, oh, it seems like you're losing your accent. Regardless or not of whether the accent was on point, it was there consistently, which is really yeah. all, all I can judge by. And beyond may that, I, I wasn't going to be picking. May I also add, uh, accent consistently through crying, which mm. presumably... presumably so difficult. I could not imagine trying to have a genuine emotional response and cry <laughs> while also trying to be British oh, as, okay. a, as a redneck American, you know, like very difficult. So kudos to Kesu um, for pulling that off. Um, I also I also bought her as a mother. Don't know if she's ever played a mom in a movie. I, I like the scenes with William and Harry. I thought I thought she was very uh, so, natural with those kids. Very glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. Those were actually my, my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, I feel like that's where you got the most dimension to her character. And so sweet, so believable. And also, and I literally told this to my partner as we were leaving the theater. I was like, those child actors, they can freaking act, man. They killed it. A lot of times, not to be mm-hmm. that person, a lot of times child actors kind of annoy me because it's like- For sure. I can see their acting or like it's like too cutesy or just like it just doesn't feel genuine. I was like, those are real children. Those are her real kid. Like it felt so 
real, especially like the Christmas gift scene. Um, very cute. Um, so again, just wonderf wonderfully acted and Sally Hawkins, as always, also crushes it. Yeah, so I, I definitely understand the severe Oscar buzz around case do yeah it should have it should have happened by now so i i i really i really hope it happens for her i guess then i don't know were, were there any other supporting performances that you wanted to comment on because i you know i was going to talk about timothy spall a bit but if there's anything else that you had more thoughts on i wanted to ask you first honestly the only you know and we could we could dive in this later if needed but um stelly hawkins character mm -hmm. yeah was so fascinating and almost mythical. When I was watching this, I was like, is this a guardian angel figure? Mm -hmm. Is this a real person? <laughs> like, is this a real well, person? I don't know if it's a real person, uh, but you got to imagine that's like, it's, well, it's got to feel like a real, like you said, I like the term guardian angel, lifeline, something. Because I think mm -hmm. the way most of these characters are throughout the movie is probably how most of them actually are there. Like, you're probably not going to find anyone that warm that decides to like devote their life to serving the crown. Like, you're just probably not going to. So, I, 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 I like that presence in the movie. It's very unique yes. compared to any of the other, say, characters you would say, see on The Crown or something like that. Because even if even if this movie is obviously shot and uh, directed very differently from The Crown, like I think the the way the people, the demeanor of most of the people is actually probably fairly consistent with The Crown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, but yeah, I know. I, I, I totally agree. I, I, loved, I loved her presence and I thought her chemistry with uh, Kristen Stewart was just like, very natural and really good. I mean, I haven't seen a ton of Sally Hawkins movies actually. Now that I think about it, I know she, she has like another Oscar nomination aside from, I, I think she got Oscar nominated for blue Jasmine. And then like one other thing before shape of water, but I haven't seen whatever that other thing before was, but like, I really, she's in Paddington, which is just, you know, very delightful movies. Um, and I, and I like her in that, but wholly different kind of movie, you know, I, but speaking of the people that aren't like that without around the Royal family, that's why I wanted to mention the Timothy Spall character. Who uh, who plays? I guess who's supposed to be like some kind of former uh, for, uh, former general or something like that. But he's now kind of obviously like some kind of security, some kind of role where he just kind of gets to creep around on behalf of the crown and uh, you know do do his own thing. Uh, yeah, he's, his his name is is like Major Al Alistair Gregory. Is the it's based on David Walker, who um, I, I guess was like an like an. Uh, someone that was in the Royal Air Force and then, you know, serve the crown in some capacities. But there, there are these guys that just hang around and are there to kind of like, you know, just oversee the traditions and uh, make sure things run as smoothly as, you know, they always have in the family. One of my favorite characters on the crown, uh, not because I necessarily like liked everything he stood for, but I, I just thought the performance was really good was this guy uh, was the character of Tommy Lassels, who mm. was a personal secretary to the queen really early on in her reign. And was just like militant throughout that whole series of like, you know, enforcing all the different traditions and safeguards and all of that. And I was like, I, I was like, wow, like there, and I looked them up. I was like, yeah, there are literally people that like devote their life to this. And I totally bought that this guy was just going to be there. Like they would drag him out of retirement every like couple of years. It seemed like to like go make sure some shit got done just because like they yeah. needed it done. And he was just, he was just there for them. And I was like, I, I don't know if like the, the Timothy Spall character was exactly that. But he actually, at the same time, seemed a little more human than that, while at the same time, clearly standing for something where you could see the way Diana responded to him. It was like, oh, man, like, yeah, he's not exactly there to comfort her. He's not he, he's there for the crown's interest, not hers. But he does seem like he has like a little bit of sympathy and is capable of having a real conversation with her, which is like not the case with like 
anyone else that's actually in the royal family. So I just liked all the different dimensions he brought that's to that character. So interesting. I had a completely different take on him. What was your take on him? I did not get any any humanity from him. Yeah. Um, I got total, you know, misunderstanding and and lack of empathy. Let me say it was like a 90% to your total robot serving the crown, 10%. I I thought like the fact that he was able to carry on a real conversation with her is more what kind of got me into like, he probably knows what she's going through, but just doesn't actually have much to offer her was kind of what I I got from it. I I got something, I think more, something worse from that conversation. Okay. There was a very um, weird conversation, poignant conversation, where he basically corners her while she's sitting in the courtyard saying, you got to go to dinner. You got to get dressed. Dinner's about to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm sent out here to make sure you do what you're supposed to do. Um, And Diana's having a a mild breakdown, as per usual, in the Mm -hmm. film. And uh, he just sits, he plops down next to her and just like, hey, let me tell you a story. I was in the military once and this guy was telling me a story and he was talking to me. And you know what? He died in my arm. He got shot, died in my arms for you, for the crown. Yeah, and she's and like, he just like stands up and walks, like basically just stands up and walks away. So what that conversation to me is, was like a big middle finger to Diana being like, who are you to sit and weep? Everybody died for you. I don't give a F about you eat your dinner is what I got from that conversation. I didn't get, you know, granted he was more well-rounded perhaps, which is what you were perhaps getting at, but I got, this guy's fucking awful. So that's, that's what I got. No. Yeah. See, I, I didn't necessarily come across from away from it thinking he was a real guy, but I came across, I, I came away from it thinking he was like a real person. Uh, which is like in, in certain ways, like these Royals, they're, they, they're like, not like fully formed people. Uh, like I, I, I got that he lived a life, you know, and yeah, like he's a whole human, right? Like maybe not the best human, but someone that like, because of that, like, he's probably more capable of having a conversation with Diana, even if it's not really a particularly pleasant one. Whereas like the Royals who are born into it are like so insulated from like any like normal, normal, like actually like human experiences that like it's it's understandable she's going to feel more comfortable just like wandering into the talk to the chef and his staff or uh, talking to him or talking to his dresser i, I honestly I, i'm not i'm not like I, I went back and tried to think about it i was not recalling a lot of the specifics of the conversation she had with that head chef who is the first guy, guy that she like encounters that basically mm-hmm. is like yeah you need to get there too i think he it, it, maybe it's a little similar in that like he's more blue collar than the timothy spall guy uh but at the same time he's also uh, fairly loyal to the crown and uh, but does seem to maybe get her a little bit more yes, um, yeah, I, I saw him as a very warm character yeah 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 right but also like he understood his role and that he couldn't do anything to help yeah exactly he's like so you kind of got- like a frustrated character because he knew like she was going through something but he just had to carry on with making yeah, his food. he didn't have the power to do much he's like yeah, yeah you probably just got to like make the most role. Make, yeah. make the most of it. Sorry, yada yada. So, mm-hmm. uh, regardless, like I guess my overall point about the Timmy Spall guy was I I liked how like I, I I liked his I liked the performance. I thought he did what he was asked to do very well. And again, more human, even if he's like s- still devoted to serving this like uh, not great enterprise. Um, yeah. and I and 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 I and I liked 
that depiction. Whereas like the the it's Sean Harris, I believe, was the the guy that played the chef. I think I I, I yeah, Sean Harris played the chef whose name is Dar- Darren McGrady, who uh, actual real person, I believe, if I'm um, yeah. He actually, like, it's weird. If you go on Wikipedia and you click on it, it he's like more of a celebrity chef now. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a cool presence to have. And it was just a very interesting take to just show her mm-hmm. interacting with these other people. Whereas like on The Crown, uh, they you didn't actually like necessarily see that side of it. Like they, they, they spent very little time focusing on those type of people on The Crown, I would say. Like as far as like people like that are at chef level, you know? Yeah. Uh, Kayla, any other final thoughts on the movie? Anything we didn't touch on yet that you'd meant to talk about? I think we pretty much covered it. Um, yeah, interesting film. <laughs> I'll probably see it again. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming like it came out early enough that like I don't know if I'm I'm, I'm, I'm probably just not gonna have a chance to see it in theaters. I don't know if it's gonna have a long enough theatrical run, but I I will I will go I, I will watch it again once it pops up on VOD just because I think there's plenty of interesting stuff to uh, pick up on, and I don't know exactly where it's gonna fall in like the. Uh, the award season stuff, but I sure, I sure hope that like, we're, we will be able to say Academy award nominee, Kristen Stewart at this point, at this time next year. Um, If not now someday. Yeah. And I would just say that like, I, I, I told, I told, I'm hoping my mom likes it, but she's going to wait till it's on VOD because I didn't direct her to it. But like, if you know people in your life that are just like, you know, maybe not the biggest film fans, like they might follow the Royals as much as Kayla, but they're not, horror movie fans in the way that Kayla is uh maybe don't tell them to waste a trip to the movies on it though uh because there's just gonna be so many movies out in the next month yeah but like you know if you know anyone that like thinks they're just not a royal watcher and would because they see a movie about the royals they're going to be more averse to it but they actually like genre movies hey Mm -hmm. they might be pleasantly surprised by it so don't be afraid to recommend this to those kind of people give them the this is like a psychological horror Mm -hmm. warning um, just to know what to expect when they, they sit in the theater. And the one thing I can't believe we didn't actually say, we didn't actually reference The Shining at all during this conversation, but that's one that's like, you know, come up a lot when people are talking about this. Cause I think, like, you know, cinematically, like there are some real similarities there. So if you know people that are into those kind of movies, you might be like, Hey, this might surprise you is the way I would kind of put it to those people. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kayla, before we, before we sign off, anything else you've been watching recently you want to recommend? I know you mentioned the Diana documentary earlier, but anything else you want to plug as far as things you think people should be watching new or old? Uh, just that Diana documentary, Diana mm-hmm. in her own words, I believe it's on Netflix um 10 out of 10 documentary yeah i don't have a lot new to recommend myself but uh, last night i finally got around to watching bergman island which i've been referencing of of here and there on the podcast for the last few weeks because i'll be doing a podcast with my friend ben on it after completing my i want to say completing my ingmar bergman education because there's a lot of his films that i haven't watched but i watched like five ingmar bergman school still there's so many i need to watch yeah i I, i've watched like five of those. And then another Mia Hansen love movie in anticipation of talking about this with Ben. And I definitely think it's worth watching. It's a very interesting movie. Honestly, I think the less you know about it going in, the better it's, it's interesting and uh, kind of surprising in some ways. So I'll just leave it at that. It's, you can rent it for six 99. Uh, highly recommend it. If you have the time to squeeze it in with all the new stuff uh, coming to theaters. Uh, Kayla, before we sign off, uh, where can people find you if they want to like, you know, see you tweet about stuff? Yeah. Um, my only social media pretty much is Twitter. So follow me at Kayla Stetzel, K-A-Y-L-A-S-T-E-T-Z-E-L. 
enjoy my memes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe in a, maybe in a, within a few weeks, uh, she'll be able to meme a lot about House of Gucci, which, which. Uh, oh yes. Which yes. Which Kayla will be back <laughs> in the next two to three weeks to uh, discuss with us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as usual, I'm Josh Renovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y on Twitter and Letterbox, and the podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. So, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Kayla again for joining as usual, and uh, we'll see you next time.